I have confessed to you that I generally do not like Christian movies. Uh, they are usually predictable, dull, shallow, poorly acted, cheap, and contrived. <laughs> but I didn't hate War Room, <laughs> the movie that scene comes from. The movie, if you haven't seen it, uh, tells the story of a real estate agent named Liz, whose marriage is falling apart due to her husband's character problems. Liz is asked to sell the house of a widow named Clara, and as they get to know one another, Liz shares her marriage problems with Clara. And then Clara shows Liz her war room. Clara's husband was a military strategist who fought battles for the army in war rooms. And Clara aims to do the same, except her war room isn't a war room, it's a closet. And her weapons aren't guns or bombs, but prayers. Now, Clara's encouragement, Liz sets up her own war room and begins praying for her marriage. By the end of the movie, Liz's husband is a changed man, and they have found absolute marital bliss. Like I said, Christian movies. <laughs> Things work out just a little too quickly. But I did like something about the movie. I like the basic imagery of prayer as a weapon. We generally think of prayer as a nice, pleasant mealtime activity that somehow miraculously changes junk food into healthy food. But prayer is not that. Prayer is a tool given by God to us through which we can change the world. Prayer is a weapon issued by our creator that we can wield to bring God's kingdom to earth. We learn this about prayer in the Bible and specifically in Paul's letter to the Romans. We've been studying the book of Romans forever here at Rooftop and are kind of winding ourselves down, and we're in like the last section of Romans in a series that we're calling uh, The Continuing Mission. Now, if you don't know, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Paul was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, and he was a first-century missionary, and he traveled all around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel. And he really wanted to visit the church in Rome, so he writes them a letter introducing himself and also summarizing for them the message of Christianity that he wanted to come preach to them. The message that, even though... We are idolatrous, immoral, depraved sinners. God did not give up on us, but came to earth as a man, died on the cross for our sins, so that if we have faith in him, uh, we can be justified. We can be declared righteous in God's sight. We can receive the gift of eternal life. That's the message that Paul was committed to taking to the ends of the earth. But Paul knew, Paul knew that the success of his mission wasn't just going to depend on his effectiveness, his commitment, his articulating abilities. Paul knew that the success of his mission and that the ability of the message of Christianity to root itself in the lives of hearers was dependent on many things, but it was going to take an awful lot of prayer. So with that introduction, let me go ahead and share with you the passage for the morning that we're going to study together, after which we shall discuss it. It's Romans 15, verses 30 through 33. I urge you, Brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Now, this short passage actually takes part, it's like part two of a larger section 
that Pastor Jacob started on last week. And in the previous passage, the one that we looked at last week, Paul is explaining his travel plans to the people in Rome. He is explaining uh, what his plans are. So right now he's probably in the ancient city of Corinth writing this letter to the Romans. And then after that, he intends to go to Jerusalem and Judea to deliver an offering that he's been collecting for the saints there. And then after he visits uh, Jerusalem, then he wants to go to Rome to, to visit the church and, and do some work there all on his way to get to Spain. That's his end goal. Paul really wants to get to Spain. Paul is one of these guys who, who took Jesus very literally when Jesus said, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. As far as Paul knew back then, world is flat. Spain was as far as he could see. Got to get the gospel to Spain. So that's where he was going. Now, as Jacob told us last week, Paul explains to the believers in Rome that not only does he want to visit them and preach the gospel to them, but he also needs their help, he needs their assistance, as he puts it. He says, I hope to visit you while passing through to Spain and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. I mean, it's a long way from Corinth to Jerusalem to Rome to Spain. It's going to take a long time, and Paul's going to need some help. Paul's going to need their hospitality. Paul's going to need a bed to sleep in. Paul's going to need their generosity. It takes money to travel to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul's going to need all that. And Jacob's simple point last week, and it was a very important point that I want to reiterate, his simple point last week is that we might not all be called to be professional missionaries. I mean, we know that's true. We're not all called to be professional missionaries. But that doesn't mean we don't have anything to do in helping to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul needed the Romans' help. He needed their generosity. He needed their hospitality. We're all called to be hospitable and generous for the sake of of the gospel mission. Our house, our money, these are all resources that the Holy Spirit has given us in helping to spread the message of God's love to the ends of the earth. Every one of us has something to do in the continuing mission of God. That's what Paul is saying, and that was Jacob's point last week. And even if we don't, even if we don't have money or resources or houses to use in spreading the gospel, which for the record includes very few Americans, right? Even if we don't have resources or money or jobs to help in spread of the gospel, there's still something we can do. And it might even be the most important thing that we can do in spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. What can we do? We can pray. That's what Paul says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses uh, for the word urge, uh, it's a word that we've encountered before in our study. The Greek word is parakaleo, and it can be translated lots of different ways. People, other translations translate it, I um, uh, request of you, or I ask you, or I invite you to pray. But I actually like this word, this translation, urge. It gives uh, us a sense of, of passion and desperation for uh, the Roman, that the Romans might pray for him. He wasn't just inviting them to pray. He wasn't asking, hey, if you would, put me on your prayer list. He was urging them to pray because he desperately needed their prayers. As much as he needed air and water and food, he needed their prayer. Have you ever needed prayer that much? Have you ever been in a situation where you really needed a people to pray for you? I mean, my family's been through one of those situations recently, and people were so eager to help. Hey, can we bring you a meal? Sure. Hey, can we visit you at the hospital? Sure. Yeah, great. Can we pray for you? Yes. Yes. Pray for us. That was Paul's desperation here. 
And we actually see this throughout his letters. I mean, here in Romans, he urges them to pray for protection and success, but in every letter that he writes, in practically every letter that he writes, he wrote like a dozen or so, uh, in Colossians, he urges his readers to pray for open doors. In Thessalonians, he pleads that they might pray for his deliverance from opponents. Practically every letter that Paul writes, he urgently pleads uh, for his people to support them in prayer. And again, not with casual dinnertime prayers. No, big, bold, war room-like prayers. He really does consider prayer to be the weapon that God has given to every believer through which he intends to change the world. Let me share with you a passage where we sort of understand uh, how Paul understood the role of prayer in the continuing mission of God. It comes from the book of Ephesians. It actually might be a passage that you've heard before, but it relates. Here's what he writes. He says, Be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, what do you do? Pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. Pray for all the saints and pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You get the picture. Paul believed to the depth of his being that if people are going to respond to the gospel, it's going to take prayer. And again, not casual dinnertime prayers. Big, bold, war room-like prayers. You might not know this, but Satan, you know, Satan, the enemy of God, we believe in Satan here at Rooftop. I mean, we don't believe in Satan. We believe that he exists. We believe in Jesus. But Satan, just to clarify, what kind of church did I visit this morning? They believe in Satan. Satan, not threatened, not threatened by our dinnertime prayers, right? Satan never, like, sees us praying for the lasagna and goes, oh, no, they're praying for the lasagna. My minions, take cover. Oh, no, they're praying for the salad, the Caesar salad. Oh, no, they're praying for the garlic bread, not the garlic bread. Those prayers do not intimidate the foe of heaven. No, the success of the Christian mission is going to take big, bold, war room-like prayers for the sake of the gospel, that strongholds will be torn down, that justice will be served, that evil defeated, that hope will spread, that sin eradicated, and that Jesus will return. That's the type of prayers that God wants to hear and answer against the devil. Prayer for the gospel is our weapon, and it must be wielded. Prayer is our rifle. It must be aimed and fired again and again. And we have all been so armed with this weapon. You might not be a Second Amendment person. You might not be a Second Amendment person, but if you're a Christian, you are armed, and you are dangerous, and you carry a weapon that the NRA or the government cannot regulate, and it must be deployed. We might not all have homes to open up. We might not all have money to give to missionaries, but we can all pray, and we all must. Without our prayers, the gospel will not go out. Without our prayers, our missionaries will not make it to their Spains. Without our prayers, your family members will not go to heaven. Without our prayers, the kingdom of God will not come in power. Without prayer, we will not become the bold servants of Christ the world needs. Without prayer, we will fail. That was Paul's earnest conviction. That was his belief. I believe it too. But that don't mean I get it or that I'm good at it. 
We like to keep things real here at Rooftop. Honesty, authenticity, one of our values. Totally not lying. That's true. And I would be uh, far less than authentic to pretend that I'm some sort of prayer general leading the troops into battle. Prayer, talking to God, boldly asking God to accomplish what we want him to accomplish. Frankly, it is one of the most confusing and difficult aspects of Christianity for me. Uh, This is a confession. Understand this as a confession. But my prayer life is far less than stellar. Martin Luther, uh, the great Protestant reformer uh, from the 17th century, 16th century, Uh, He said this, he said, I have so much to do today that first I must pray for three hours. I have never said that. (laughs) Uh, I do not pray as frequently or as boldly or as successfully as you would think a minister of the gospel should. Again, this is a confession. I struggle more uh, with prayer than I struggle in prayer. Now, to be fair, and it's important to be fair to to yourself, to be fair, I know I am not alone. Uh, Many of us struggle with prayer. Maybe some of you do. Some of you do not struggle with prayer. Prayer is like just perfectly natural for you. You just love praying. You walk around in the presence of God. Father, I love you all the time. Here's what I have to say to you today. And you just, it's just so natural. Not for me. uh, And I wish it were. I wish I were you. But it's, it's not. And I know I'm not alone here, though. For others of us, prayer is more like flossing. We know it's important (laughs) for all kinds of reasons. And we hear them from our dentist every six months. And we nod our heads in feigned agreement, just like when we hear sermons from the pastor about praying. We nod our heads in agreement. Yes, very important. Then we go home and we never floss. (laughs) Why don't we floss? Why don't we pray? Well, I've actually thought a lot about this. Uh, Praying, not flossing. And I can tell you exactly why my prayer life is less than stellar. There's lots of reasons why I struggle with prayer. First, uh, busyness. Hyperactivity. I'm a doer. I drink caffeine all day. I like staying busy. I like getting things done. Prayer seems to me, seems to me, so inactive, and it's just hard to fit in. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I hate sleep. I hate sleep. It's so unproductive. You can't get anything done when you're sleeping. I hate it. But, like, you can't win. You're not going to win that battle. Also, distractibility. Thanks to modern media, my attention span is like three seconds. And that actually might be scientifically accurate. I think we have like three second long attention spans. Uh, This is terrible to say out loud, but I just get so distracted and bored in prayer, my mind cannot stay focused. I can't imagine praying for three hours. Maybe things were different back then for Martin Luther, but different now. Another reason I struggle with prayer is conceit. One of the fundamental undergirding principles of prayer is that in prayer we ask God to do things for ourselves that we cannot do. And for us can-do Americans, that's hard to acknowledge. I mean, frankly, some of us actually pray that God do things that we can very easily do. <laughs> you know. um, but a lot of us, uh, type A people, we, we, it's hard for us to acknowledge there are things in my life that I actually cannot do, and I need, God, I need you to do them. We're conceited. Also, ineptitude. Another reason I struggle with prayer, ineptitude. Ineptitude is just not knowing how to do something. I did not grow up in a church or in a family that taught me how to pray. They taught me a little bit about prayer. They taught me, they taught me that this was prayer. They taught me uh, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are all fed. Thank you, God, for daily bread. Anybody else grow up praying that prayer? That's what I learned about prayer. That's what prayer is. <laughs> 
But maybe the biggest reason that I struggle with prayer is one that I know you, you do too, it's doubt. Like some of you, I'm a skeptic. I've been educated by the world to believe that God isn't real and that prayer doesn't work. Now, I work really hard to resist what the world would have me believe, but that can be hard. But it's not just the world that makes me doubt. It's my own experience with prayer. I mean, have you ever prayed to God for something that you really, 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 really needed and not received it, let alone an explanation on why you didn't get it? I mean, have you ever looked at what Jesus says about prayer in the Gospels? Do you really know what Jesus says about prayer in the Gospels? Whatever you ask for in your heart, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's what he says. Have you ever claimed that promise and then not received what you really need, something that you cannot imagine a loving God, yea, a loving Father saying no to? Am I alone? Has that ever happened to anybody else? Really? Apparently I'm alone. Is it, it really? Has that ever happened to anybody Didn't think so. <laughs> so there are reasons here, good ones, that we struggle with prayer. Having said that, doesn't mean we should give up. Just because we don't get something or that it's hard does not mean that it's pointless. I'm just saying that for starters, we have to be honest with the difficulties here. But even after being honest with ourselves about prayer, we still have to figure out what to do here. I mean, given our difficulties, what do we do? Do, do we just give up? Do we, do, do we admit defeat? Do we let other more gifted people pray? Eh, well, the prayer. Uh, do we just kind of try it again and fail again? Well, I have thought about that question an awful lot too. I struggle with prayer, but I am a devoted enough follower of Jesus that I want to do it anyway. And as I've thought about and even researched prayer over the years, I've come up with some, some talking points that I tell myself to keep me praying in big, bold, warlike ways, despite my problems. And I share these talking points with you in case you struggle with prayer too, but still want to join the war effort. I have, count them, eight thoughts I want to share with you this morning. <laughs> I, I, I could not whittle it down. The Holy Spirit would not allow me to whittle it down. Eight thoughts I want to share with you before we close this morning with communion. These thoughts do not start with the same letter. They are not short, pithy, memorable. They do not spell anything out. They are actually incredibly random. If you want to put them in any sort of category here, you might call them how busy, distracted, conceited, inept, doubting people like Pastor Matt can still change the world through prayer. Catchy title, right? Now, I will be brief with these. We will not be here till 3 p.m. I will be brief here. This is in the trade. Uh, they call this a, a, a shotgun sermon. You know, instead of like aiming a rifle at you, you know, I just <laughs> and hope a little pellet like hits somebody. Great analogy. Yeah. Oh, you're saying it's not a great analogy. Oh, I see. The violence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somebody tell my wife that she should sit in the back next week. <laughs> Uh, so, eight things to remember for people like me who still want to pray in the war room despite our difficulties. First, confess your doubts about prayer and then keep praying. Confess your doubts about prayer and then just keep praying. It's okay to have doubts about prayer. It's okay to be skeptical. I would, in fact, worry if we weren't skeptical. I mean, prayer is mysterious. We shouldn't necessarily get it. 
We are asking an invisible God to supernaturally intervene in history according to his power and wisdom. That's not something we're going to really get. That's like me trying to understand nuclear engineering or quantum physics or uh, female communication styles. <laughs> not going to happen. But that doesn't mean we should stop praying. I mean, God hasn't answered all my prayers, but he's a- answered enough of them that I know something's happening. I know something's going on. And the challenge is remembering that confidence that you felt earlier during your times of doubt. It's one of the reasons why in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, uh, God is constantly telling Israel, hey, remember when? Hey, remember when? Hey, remember when? Hey, remember when? Just because you didn't get this prayer doesn't mean I don't answer prayer at all. In fact, this is just an intuition I have. But I suspect that God is most honored and pleased by people who pray in spite of their doubts. Because he understands how much courage and faith praying in spite of doubt requires. That's one. Confess your doubts by prayer and then keep praying. Two, don't excuse yourself from prayer no matter how unnatural or difficult it is. Don't excuse yourself from prayer no matter how unnatural or difficult it is. Uh, there's There's a line of thinking in the church today and in the world today, in fact, that you should do what you're good at and don't do what you're not good at. People think, oh, I, I have the spiritual gift of encouragement. I don't have the spiritual gift of giving. So I'm going to encourage people, but I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give any money. Because I'll let other people who have that gift do that. And there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, there really are prayer warriors like Miss Clara. I know some of you are prayer warriors, and it's just kind of what you feel called to do. But I don't, again, just to be clear, I don't think prayer is like that. I don't think prayer is something that God gives like certain prayer-talented people to do. But prayer is more like breathing. You cannot be a non-breathing human being. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not for us. The reason it might be difficult is because we just haven't done it that much. It's kind of like exercise. Exercise is hard. You ever go to the gym after not having exercise? It's incredibly painful. That doesn't mean it's not for you. <laughs> that just means you haven't done it. So don't excuse yourself from prayer, no matter how uncomfortable or, or difficult it is for you. Three. Never forget how important prayer was to Jesus. Never forget how important prayer was to Jesus. When it comes down to it, the biggest reason I pray is the reason that uh, author Philip Yancey gives in his book, Prayer. Uh, Yancey, I've told you, is a favorite of author of mine. Uh, he wrote this book uh, called Prayer. It's about prayer. Catchy title. And, uh, and he has as many problems with prayer as I do, even more. But at the end of it, he says, so, so why pray with all these problems? Well, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, and Jesus prayed a lot. And, and we must remember that Jesus was like the smartest person to ever live. Jesus also, I don't know if you've heard, rose from the dead. People who rise from the dead have a certain amount of credibility. And their example should be followed, and their words should be paid attention to. And Jesus prayed, and, and Jesus loved praying. He prayed like there was no tomorrow. It's where he gathered his strength. Uh, I, here's like the, the brass tacks of it. I trust the example of Jesus more than I trust my own understanding of anything, and certainly prayer. Never forget how important prayer was to Jesus. Four, stop doing Whatever you need to stop doing so you can pray more. 
Stop doing whatever you need to stop doing to pray more. And this includes unimportant things, and it even includes important things. Sometimes you have to cut important things out of your life so you can make room for more important things, and there is no more important thing than praying, according to Scripture. I mean, prayer is always going to be a sacrifice. In our busy, distracted culture, our lives are just so crammed. We do not have a lot of margin. But that doesn't mean our lives are filled with important things that need to stay there. We have to, we have to make adjustments. Recently, for example, I, uh, I checked my cell phone. Uh, and on the new iPhone screen time function, do you know what I'm talking about? There's a, a, a new screen time function, iOS, the latest update, it actually tells you how much time you are spending on your phone. I know, terrible. And I, I knew that this update was coming, and I did not want to check it. I did not want to know. Uh, but I, I am a steward of the time that God has given me. So if Apple is going to uh, you know, give me a tool by which I can understand how I'm using God's time, then praise God for Apple. So I, after a couple weeks, I mustered up the courage to click on the, 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 the app and figure out how much time I'm using. I averaged over three, three and a half hours a day on my phone. Three and a half hours a day. Now, it's not all bad. I do a lot of work on my phone, listen to podcasts, listen to music. But it's not all great. I mean, you can kind of break it down by app. <laughs> and I saw that, and I was stricken. I mean, on two levels. One, I lecture my children on cell phone addiction. <laughs> and two, I complain that I don't have enough time to pray. So I, I, I'm honest, I recognize that. So I just started deleting apps. Gone, 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 gone. Even some important ones, like news apps. I love watching them. I love staying up to date with the news. But if I, if I love the news so much that I'm not praying, screw the news. Maybe cell phone isn't a problem for you, but maybe TV is. Maybe sleeping is. Maybe gaming is. Fill in the blank. Whatever you need to reduce to pray more, do it. Fifth. Seize every opportunity to pray that you can. If you have an opportunity to pray, do it. Seize it. I don't think we live in a world anymore where, at least I don't, where you can get up at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, and pray for three hours. I don't think that's my reality anymore. I have to steal those moments when I have the opportunity to do them. And if I have the opportunity, I try to steal it. I try to seize it. Like if all my children are home and are eating dinner together, that is my chance to pray for them. Because how often does that happen these days? You know, if it occurs to me, uh, hey, pray with and for your wife, and Michelle happens to be in the house at the same time. I mean, that itself, an incredible rarity. I have to seize that opportunity. I, I need to go. Michelle and I need to pray together. If, I, if a prayer request comes through over email, I, I can't, like, get to it later. <laughs> That's not going to happen. If the, I have to do it right then. If the prayer requests that, that we kind of compile come through, I have to review them right then, right there. You have to seize these opportunities because they are fleeting. Uh, just this past week, for example, um, we, we had a, uh, a police officer up here uh, at, at the church. We invited uh, uh, a member of the police force to come and help us review some security procedures. We just want to make sure we're being safe and, uh, and intelligent about that. And so the police, the county police, sent over an officer, Officer Corey, came over and sat down with us, talked with us some, about some security stuff, and it was, it was a very productive meeting. Now, I actually very rarely get the chance to pray for people I don't know, like personally, and people who might not go to church. And so before he left, I actually asked him, Corey, thanks for your, your presentation. Um, we're at church. We do weird things here. Um, before you leave, can we? And he's like, what are they getting rid of? 
I said, uh, can, we, can we pray for you? He's like, oh, thanks. I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. Um, so we prayed for him. We prayed for Officer Corey. He's got a new baby coming this summer. Prayed for him. Prayed for his family. Prayed that God would protect him. Thanked God for the protection that they give us as we worship here in freedom, which is something we shall not take for granted. If you have an opportunity to pray, take it. You might not get it again. Sixth, pray for matters close to your heart. Pray for matters close to your heart. One of my big problems with prayer, aside from the many that I have told you about this morning, is that I I do not know what to pray for. I I get so overwhelmed with all the needs and the things I'm supposed to be praying for. Like, I have friends who, like, have prayer calendars, like, on Tuesday. They pray for these countries in Africa. On Thursday, they pray for, you know, Europe. On Friday, they pray for Jefferson City. They just, that's how they handle it. Uh, Me, I'm not that organized when it comes to my prayer life. I also pray, feel so selfish with my prayers, like, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And, and I don't, am I doing, it's very intimidating walking into the prayer room because I don't know where to start. It's kind of like walking into Costco. Ah, let alone Ikea. Yeah, yeah, like where do I go? I don't, there's so many things. I, what, do, what do I, and I just, whoop, right out. Not before, not grabbing a meatball though, those are good. So my solution here rather is just don't overthink this. Pray for things that matter to you. Pray for things close to your heart, close to home, and even far away. Uh, Michelle and I, my wife and I, have, and my family, we have certain missionaries that we pray for. We love these people, so we pray for them. Uh, we love Kale Uzzle and the work he's doing on college campuses for the gospel here in St. Louis. We, we love Mike Greiner and the work he's doing in Eastern Europe in spreading the gospel over there. Uh, we love Paul and Stephanie Seidel and the church they're planning in central Illinois. We love these people. We care for them. They're our friends. It actually takes a lot of the drudgery out of it. We pray for our neighbors because we want to get to know them better. We pray for our family because we want them to go to heaven. When it comes to knowing what to pray for, don't overthink about it. Pray for the things that matter to you. And pray big, bold prayers for them, too. You've got to seize those opportunities to think big on God's behalf for the people you're praying for. Pray for me as close to the heart. And seventh, use somebody else's prayers if you don't know what to pray. Use somebody else's prayers if you don't know what to pray. Another problem that we have with prayer is that we, we don't know how to do it. We sound kind of, you know, inarticulate and dumb. Uh, one of the greatest lies I think the devil would have us believe is that in order to pray, you have to sound pretty. You really don't. I mean, in as much as prayer is, is communication with our Father, our, our Father is, is not super picky about how we sound. I mean, when, when Michelle and I had our kids, uh, and we just loved hearing them verbalize. You know, if they're falling asleep and they're talking to themselves, we just stand at the door and just, we'd love it. Now, if our kids are still talking like that at age 18, <laughs> clearly we needed to have taught them some language. So, You can grow in your praying. And one of the ways you grow in your praying is by praying prayers that have been prayed before. I mean, when when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray in the Gospels, he said, hey, hey, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. What did he say? He didn't say, well, you know, just look in your heart. What did he say? Pray these words. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Like They're writing it down. Just because they weren't their words doesn't mean they didn't that they couldn't mean them. One of the ways I pray, I've prayed for a couple years, 
in the morning is uh, I pray the Psalms. Psalms are a big book of oh, prayers in the Old Testament, which God has given us to use. And one of the biggest mistakes we make with respect to the Psalms is we study the Psalms instead of praying the Psalms. But these are prayers, prayers of confession, uh, prayers of anger, prayers of uh, praise, prayers of proclamation. So I pray the prayers in the, in, on the, in the morning. I pray five prayers, if, if this is helpful for you and if you're looking for something to do, I, I pray five Psalms in the morning. And here's my system. On the first day of the month, I pray Psalm 1, I pray Psalm 31, I pray Psalm 61, I pray Psalm 91, I pray Psalm 121. There's a mathematical pattern here. On the second day of the month, I pray Psalm, oh my gosh, Psalm 2, and then I pray Psalm 32, and then 62. There's 150 Psalms, so I can fit all of them in to one month. And I don't care that I didn't come up with these words. They have been given to me to pray. I mean, if, if our spiritual life is a battle and prayer is a weapon, I don't think it matters if you pick up somebody else's gun. You just have to pick it up and pray. That's seven. Finally, eight. Pray with others for added power and accountability. Pray with others for added power and accountability. Jesus said in the Gospels that where two or more are gathered, there he is. One of the things that I think God intends through prayer is that it draws us together. Praying for other people is a lot easier when you're praying with other people. And according to Scripture, it's more powerful to pray together. Things happen more when Christians gather together to pray. That's why our small groups here at Rooftops should never miss a chance to pray together when you meet. Never. That's your opportunity to gather together, to pray for one another and pray for the world. If you're in a small group, do not let your leader dismiss you until she prays for you and the world in big, bold ways. If you get to the end of a prayer at small group and it wasn't big and bold enough, somebody in the group say, no, no, let's try this again. Bigger. Bolder. If you're a small group leader, take advantage of those opportunities to pray with and for your group. We actually have a group of prayer room warriors who meet here at the building on Tuesday morning to pray together. For years, this small little group of rooftoppers has been meeting for prayer every Tuesday morning. You did not know that there was a war operation happening out of this building on Tuesday morning, but there is. Now, they could pray, sure, they could pray individually in their homes, in their closets, but they decided to set up shop here, rooftop, is their war room. They get out their scriptures, their war strategies, and they pray. They pray for our missionaries around the world. They pray for our ministries here in St. Louis, for the homeless, for the hungry, for the refugees. They pray for our church, that we might be a beacon of light and hope. They pray for me, for our elders, for our staff, that we might have, you know, a clue about what we're doing. They pray for our city, for our state, for our nation, for the world. And here's the thing. They pray for you. They really do pray for you. They pray that God's spirit might give you hope and healing in your lives. That's what they're doing in the war room every Tuesday morning. If you want to join them, if you're free on Tuesday mornings, or even if you're not, let us know. We'll hook you up. They know that taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is a battle. It's a struggle, but God has given us a weapon. God has armed us with prayer, and while Christ has given us the victory, while Christ has given us the victory by giving up his life on the cross, there are still battles to fight, and we cannot fight them without prayer. Eight points. Has that been done before in the history of rooftop? Doesn't matter. We're going to conclude uh, this morning with uh, communion. 
as we do on the third week of every month here at Rooftop. And we understand communion as a symbolic reenactment of who we are as God's family. We are his family gathered around the table celebrating who we are in Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. When we eat from the bread, we're reminded of his body, which was broken for us. When we drink from the cup, we're reminded of his blood, which was poured out for us. And communion represents the essence of our truth. But the point here this morning with respect to prayer is that the gospel has very little chance of, of, of uh, uh, drilling down deep inside of us without prayer. And our ability to proclaim this message to this city and to the world is limited without prayer. For you to understand that message in the depths of your heart will take prayer. So we share communion with each other this morning and we do so prayerfully. Paying attention to what we are doing and praying that God will make real in our lives the love and the hope that we have in the sacrifice of Jesus. We practice open communion here at Rooftop.